0: Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Beat.
1: Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Beat, part of the Triple Play Fantasy Network. Thank you so much for joining us. My name is Chris Torres. I'll be your host today. You can find me on Twitter at Torres Takes. I'm here with my grizzled sidekick, Mike Carter. He's on Twitter with one of the worst handles you'll ever see. He's at at M D R C 508 <laughs> You can also follow our show on Twitter at FB Beat D E A T. On today's episode, Mike and I will be chatting with MLB.com writer Henry Palatella. He's done some recent work covering the Kansas City Royals, so we'll be asking him about the Royals season to date as well as their outlook moving forward. Uh, also what we could expect from them at this upcoming trade deadline. We'll then be joined later in the episode by friend of the show, Dave Funnel of Fantrax, who writes the daily injury article for them. He's going to help give us a full rundown of the injuries that we need to be aware of heading into the second half and when we can expect some of these players to return. Lastly, Mike, Dave, and I will be breaking down the fantasy week that was and looking ahead to the first week of the second half. We're going to try to give you a great show and as always, try to provide unique insights and information as well as keep you entertained. You you're to give us some comic relief, my co-host, Mike Carter. Mike, tell us, man, how you feeling about the White Sox so far?
2: I hate you. Yeah. With passion. With passion. You know I had to um, start with that. Well, you know, as we sit here, there's 16 games under 500, and uh, in a perfect summation of the first half of their season, we learned yesterday that Luis Robert Jr. could not play in the All-Star game because He tweaked a calf in the home run derby. That is just so White Sox. That is just so White Sox. They cannot stay healthy. They look like they don't care when they're playing on the field. I I have to give Robert credit. Robert had a really good first half, and he was healthy. I think he only missed five games in the first half, unlike many of his brethren uh, on the team. I I don't think that things are going well. I think that they're going to be so stubborn, though, and double down on what they're doing as they'll move some of these guys, but I think that they still think that they're right. And I think that they think that they're smarter than everybody else when they're not. And they're going to reshuffle the deck. I did learn today that the White Sox did make a trade. What was that? Uh, They acquired a right-handed pitcher, Mike Mayers from the Kansas city Royals. So I think that's the move that's going to put them over the top. I think that's it. it. I think that, I think they're ready to go. I mean, they don't, They don't need better performances from anyone in a crappy division. They just they just need Mike Mayers to come over and and just light it up for them in the bullpen
1: playing the parade, baby. That's it. Mike.
2: I I have to I have to control myself because I lose my cool more regularly about the White Sox than I have probably ever. Um, Just because the thing that I've talked with you about offline many times, Chris, is I, I feel like White Sox fans were sold a false bill of goods. Um, they went through a massive rebuild seven eight years ago, and we thought we were going to be getting um, like Raphael Devers production from Yoan Moncada. That hasn't happened. Um, we just haven't we just haven't had any of those guys really pan out. And there's there's all kinds of problems internally. There you know Luke, Lucas Gilito's going through a divorce. Tim Anderson's got all kinds of off the field issues. Eloy needs to be on some type of a stimulant to be able to pay attention uh, and also do some stretching before games. It's just a lost season. And I and I'm ready to kind of move on with it, you know, and be done with it. I, I'm still going to watch. I can't stop myself from watching. But Jack Carter and I have decided that we are all in on the Arizona Diamondbacks this year. Um, the Kane County Cougars were the farm team for the for the A squad for the Diamondbacks, and we we knew several of the guys that played there, so we're rooting for those guys. So we're continuing to love baseball here. We're going to continue to love the White Sox, but we know that it's a, a lost season here, and going to look at some other teams that actually know how to play baseball.
1: Do you know what the good news is, Mike? What's that? You're not a Royals fan.
2: <laughs> no, that that is good news. That is that, good news.
1: See, you always got to look on the bright side. But uh, we're uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that. Uh, what's the right word for this team? Putrid. Kansas <laughs> City Royals team. Uh, we'll, we'll go with that, uh, Henry. Thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing?
0: Uh, I'm all right. I'm, I'm hanging in there. Like, like you said, the Royals are a bit of an interesting, um, team to watch. So there's always that, but all in all, I'm doing pretty good.
1: All right. Well, again, thanks for coming on. Uh, we're, we're going to dissect a little bit about what's, what's going on with this team. And obviously it's, it's been disappointing. Um, they're in last place in the NL Central at 26 in 65. Almost as bad as the Oakland A's, which is, is quite a feat. Um, so tell me. What is, you were in the clubhouse recently. What is the vibe around this team right now?
0: Yeah, it's, it's not good. It's, um, through, through my job, I'm able to kind of float and cover a lot of different clubhouses that come to Cleveland. And of the ones I've covered in my year and a half, this is the one that the, the vibes were the worst. Um, they're really, it's a lot of young guys that are, you know, maybe not, you know, kind of, Quad A guys are trying to figure out their, their major league life and they're all losing together and they really don't have anyone there for them. Salvador Perez is kind of a, he's a magnanimous personality, but he is, in my opinion, at least based off of what I saw, not really the person that can then, you know, teach the right thing to do. Like it's, I mean, Garrett was pretty big from what I saw, the two, like, captured a lot of oxygen in the clubhouse, but then he got dfa because they want to see a lot of younger guys, um, see what they can do, which is, When you're a team in the Royals position, that's what you want to do. You want to see young guys play and you want to see what you have. But at the same time, like there is a, there is a cost to having a young team and an inexperienced team with a first year manager too. So everyone's kind of in this together. And I thought it's hard to look at because they are so bad. I think there is a framework there. I think they know what they want to do. I think they're further away than they'd like to be considering they've been so bad now for. I think this is the fifth year. They'll probably, they'll finish under 500. Um, there is a framework there, but they're just trying to figure it out. And right now it's, they are as really stripped to the bone as you can be. And I think if the A's weren't so bad and didn't have as much going on with their relocation stuff, there'd be a lot more attention paid to the Royals because of how bad they were. But now they're just bad and nondescript, which is, you know, the worst way to be.
1: Absolutely. And I, I would imagine this team is going to continue to sell off pieces here at the deadline. They've already gotten rid of Eroldis Chapman. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, who else do you think at this point is going to be on the move?
0: Yeah, Scott Barlow, for sure. There's no way he's not on the trade block. I mean, he's still has a couple years of team control left. But this is a guy, you, I mean, you want to sell high on him. He'd never been a reliever before he became a professional and now is... Oh I would call him an above average closer he's probably wherever he goes he probably will not close he's probably you know that 7th inning 8th inning guy um but he's a guy like I think the the all this Chapman deal is perfect it was a one year deal they were then able to flip him for a guy who projects to be a major league starter which they have a need for and another guy who's an interesting depth piece depth piece which right now is really all you can like want is just interesting you know depth pieces at this point um, I think Scott Barlow is a guy that will go. I think I wouldn't – I'm not going to say Salvador Perez could get traded, but I could see how it could happen where he is a guy – he's earned a lot of goodwill in Kansas and he forever be able to get a free drink there. But he also at some point could say, hey, I want to go to a contender. Now, at this point, I don't think his trade value is where I, it's not – they would not get a return I think that they would want just because he's having a down year this year. I mean, he has an OPS below 100, which is weird because he's their only all-star. But, you know, that's just kind of how this goes when your team is that bare and he's a recognizable name. Um But they have, they just drafted a catcher. I think Freddy Fermin is at worst a serviceable backup catcher who could theoretically, like, you want to see what you have with him. I, I, I Right now, I'd probably put it at maybe 30%, and that's just me guesstimating with the very little, you know, that I was able to glean. But I think he's a guy that, you know it could be one of those surprise pieces that ends up moving um just so long as the royals make the right make that decision but i don't know if they'll do that
2: yeah that's it it's that's a really interesting name to 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 ponder a lot of teams are wary of trading for catchers midseason i know but selby would be a big one would be a big get for somebody henry can you tell us um one player that you think could have a big second half on this team i mean they've been sort of decimated by injuries mm-hmm. and for performance is there one guy that stands out to you as someone that fantasy players might be looking at to have a big second half
0: yeah i think nick prada is a guy to keep an eye on so i was really um beginning of the season super big on mj melendez recommended him a bunch in fantasy drafted him probably earlier than i should have because of that dual eligibility and just ended up being an absolute bust threw me off of the royals for a good you know good measure But first base is one of those positions where, you know, you have, it's very top heavy. Um, and then the more middle ground you get, the more serviceable it can be. Um, he's a guy that's eligible in the outfield and first base in most, um, fantasy leagues. And he's had a horrible last week of the season. Like just, he got ejected one game, was just not. Um, really putting it together, but has all the pieces. Uh, like he's a guy that they have identified as a bona fide major league player. And with Pasquantino out, they're going to need someone to play first base. So he will get volume at this point. And the, you know, the more the season goes on, the more he'll hopefully find his rhythm. There aren't a ton of good offensive. You know, you know Bobby Wood Jr. You know Salvador Perez. You know those names. Um, but if there's a guy you're like in a, you know, a deep league or you just, you need someone to fill some positional depths, um, I think he's got to at least, you know, put on your watch list, if not roster and bury just to be safe. Mm-hmm.
1: I love that, you know, I didn't know when I asked you that you were a fantasy guy. So we were talking a little bit off air. It's, it's always cool to have somebody on who also kind of understands. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fantasy game. How are you doing in your league so
3: far this year? Uh,
0: I am on the outside looking in. Um, <laughs> and my roommate is in the playoffs right now, like every time, um, I see him. Um, but I, so I've won this league the past two years in a row. The first year, no, none of my friends really, I was the first person to really get involved. With it, so it's easy. It was just like I, you know, I Monday set my lineup, closed my eyes, kicked my feet up, won it. Last year, people started to figure out a little bit more. Then this year I have some bona fide ball players in it who are taking me for a run. Um, I I'm, I'm right now I'm winning this week you Now I'm going into the, the final one. I think that I'm moving to a playoff spot, but I like it's, it's a lot more fun when you're playing with people that um, know what they're doing and are able to like, you know, kind of play the percentages and look ahead. Um, so it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a rebuilding. We'll put it as a rebuilding. year for now.
3: Okay. All right. Very cool.
1: Well, um, Speaking of rebuilding, I mean that's what this team is is gonna mm-hmm. be doing, right? Especially um, you know, they they have Pasquintino, they have Bobby Witt Jr. as kind of these these foundational pieces. Um, uh, you know, but it, it's gonna be a long haul. And uh, obviously the pitching, it hasn't really worked out for the Royals. Uh tell me, Henry, who do you think is is gonna be part of this core moving forward? And and in your opinion, what do the Royals need to do to to get this thing To to get this organization back up to where it was, you know, around 2015 when it was, uh, you know, winning World Series.
0: Yeah, I think it's the need to develop an identity. Like those 2015, you know, 2014 to 2016 Royals teams, you knew what you were getting with them. Like you got really good pitching. You had guys like Hosmer and Mustakis, Kane, even Jared Dyson. They would grind out at bats. You knew that it was going to be at that point like a three and a half hour day at the ballpark because they set their pace and they played by it, and then they kind of tore it down to the studs. After that, they tried to rebuild. Ned Yost left. They brought in Matheny, which was just a horrible hire. He, you know, was not he is not the type of person unless you had the St. Louis Cardinals' devil magic. He's not the type of person that can build a team back up. Um, and just there was a lot of clashes. It just seemed like they weren't on the same page. But now it seems like this—they they know what they're doing. They're, in the minor leagues, they they have kind of done some more different stuff with their pitching, and it has really worked. It has um, their minor league ERA is down. Like they have guys that look like starters. I think right now a lot of their pitchers have like Brady Singer, for example. He's a guy that was you know they drafted him really high. He didn't really live up to it his first two years. He was very excuse me, very serviceable, and just flat out stinks this year. He got knocked around his last start. But he's trying to change the way he pitches compared to they, they they're trying to change the way they work and the way they do things at the major league level. But there's going to be growing pains. There's going to be opportunities when guys are trying to, you know, change the way, change their brains almost, change the way they've been thought. And I think once they get, we think about it like, you know, college football, like once you get a a coach with his system and his players, that kind of thing, that's in ML, that's in baseball too, but it just happens at a much slower pace. And then you get reactive ownership and stuff like that. So I think they they are in the right place. They are at a point right now where they are identifying major leaguers, which, when you're year four or five of rebuild, is not where you should be. But especially this division being so bad, it's not out of the realm of possibility where in three years, for example, or two years, they are you know approaching eighty wins, it's kind of like the Tigers this year, where they're not. I wouldn't even classify them as good, but you can see what they're going for. And for a lot of time, a lot of years, this Royals team has been rudderless. But I feel like now they kind of have a a goal and a mission they're building
2: towards them. Yeah, for sure. No, you know, Henry, we talked a little bit before about uh, the preemptive strike of moving a role with Chapman down to Texas. Mm-hmm. The question that I have as a guy who covers bullpens over at Fantrax is, if Scott Barlow gets traded, which would be expected, I think, mm-hmm. who do you think ends up getting the save opportunities here for Kansas City the rest of the way, even though we know they will be scant opportunities?
0: Yeah, I think Carlos Hernandez, he's the guy they trust right now. Um, he threw a score this evening. Like they've consistently thrown him out, and he's he's an ERA plus above 100. Like He's a guy that they um, trust. He was a former starter, too. Like he, He's a guy that I, I don't know if I can check right now. He doesn't have a save this year, but I mean, only Chapman and Barlow have saves. There have been 13 saves this year for the Royals, which is crazy. It's the All-Star break. Um, I think he's a guy... They like Jose Quas, they like Taylor Clark. They're go- those are guys they're gonna throw in those situations because they wanna see them in those situations, but that doesn't mean you should roster them. I think if you need anyone out of that bullpen, it'll probably be Carlos Hernandez, but even then, like that is like scraping like something has gone horribly wrong on your team and you are just trying to do something. Um or maybe he comes out and does great, but he's another guy, like add him to your watch list and like break glass in case of emergency type situation.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, I have him on one of my dynasty teams, so I'm hoping that he does become the closer.
0: <laughs> you, um, you
2: talk about scraping the bottom of the barrel for pitching. <laughs> I sure was.
1: Uh Henry, anybody else in the minor leagues at this point who you think we should be keeping an eye on, either for this year or even, you know, someone who surprised you that we should be thinking about going into next year?
0: Yeah. Not so much a, a minor league guy, but I really like Drew Waters makeup. He's switching kind of, he has been bouncing between the minor leagues and, um, the majors for them, but he's a guy that, like I said, switch hitter, plays good defense. He's a guy they're going to give a lot of opportunities to. They traded for him. They did a real weird NFL trade where they traded draft picks for him. Um, he's a guy. A lot of the, like, looking at their top five prospect lists, they're all guys that are projected like 2025. 20, um, they have a guy, Angel Zerpa, he's a reliever. Tyler Gentry's an outfielder. They're, they're guys that, like, they're within their top 100, pro- top 10 prospects and could theoretically be in the majors by the end of the year. But, again, it's kind of like I mentioned with their relievers. Like, just because they're in the majors doesn't mean they're guys you necessarily want to look for. Um, there really isn't anyone that, like I said, that stands out. I think it's Ace Alasi is a really good pitcher. But, again, he's, like, two years away. Um, they have a lot of guys that it's worth not, that maybe this time next year, you're like, hmm, let me see who the Royals, like, let me see what their, you know, pipeline looks like. But right now, I, I, I think the closest thing that could impact, you know, fantasy the next year is Drew Waters. Um, cause like I said, they're just their team where they're theoretically at best two years away from being a team that is making some noise, um, in the postseason or even at the end of the regular season.
1: Yeah, actually, I, I don't know if you saw this, Mike. I made a, a Twitter video about Drew Waters uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh Yeah, because he he is playing every day, right? <laughs> and uh, showing some decent skills. Uh, he's got power. He's got speed. He's got a 14 percent barrel rate so far this season. Got a lot of swing and miss. Uh, so he's by he's far from a perfect player, but in kind of a. A 15 team ale only format, uh, definitely a guy who should be rostered. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and also just want to shout out M- Michael Garcia, who's really been a surprise as well, mm-hmm. and now seems to be running with that, that leadoff job. So, uh, you know, someone that I think should be rostered pretty much, uh, in, in all formats at this point. Yeah,
0: without a doubt, he'll get some rookie deer votes for sure. Yep. Yeah. And interesting thing about
2: Waters too, Chris, is that he's got that pedigree that we always talk about, yep. you know, like, he came very highly regarded and it didn't work out for him in his first organization. So maybe with an opportunity in Kansas City that they can afford him, maybe he does better. Mm-hmm. Um, Henry, uh, an article that you wrote recently that, that Chris and I both found really fascinating was about imposter syndrome. And we talk about that a lot in our in our work. Um, Chris is a, a therapist and I'm a, a special ed teacher by trade. Can you talk a little bit about what you wrote and what you learned in doing that article?
0: Yeah, so it actually came to me at Guards Fest, which is like the team fest that the Guardians are doing. Um, and Will Brennan, who is an outfielder, who I really like both me personal, I um, mean, he, like he's a cool ball player to watch, but also really thoughtful and insightful interview. Um, talked about how he dealt with imposter syndrome last year. Like he came up, had eleven games in the bigs, raked, had a pinch hit, um, RBI single in the ALDS. Like doing everything you want to do in your rookie year, essentially um and was like just offhand mentioned you had imposter syndrome and i was like wow that's interesting because last year was my first year full like being in mlb clubhouses all the time it's a job i've wanted since i was five and you know anytime you're at the peak of where you want to be you're like huh you know do i deserve to be here like is this real that kind of thing so it was something where i was like you know as a fellow 20 something like i found that interesting so I talked to him about it. He gave me a lot of good stuff. And Stephen Kwan is another guy on the Guardians who has been very open about his mental health struggles. Um, so, and I talked to him for some stuff last year. So we knew each other. Um, so I talked to him. He also gave me some really good stuff. And then I, I think, you know what? Why not expand it? So when the Yankees were in town, I talked to Clay Holmes because he had, um, kind of, Went to Pittsburgh, was a bit of a bust, came to the Yankees, was really good, but, like, it's the Yankees, you know, you you breathe the wrong way and you have a million people on Twitter getting mad at you. Um So I felt like that provided a really good mental health angle. And then pretty serendipitously, covered the Marlins and Devin Smeltzer, had a pretty good start and said, like, it was because of my mental health. So, like, alarm bells went off, talked to him. Um And it was just – it's really interesting because you think about – there's – at least a society, I think – you know, we talk about mental health more, very open about mental health more, which is awesome. I think that is, you know, what we need. We need to be more empathetic. We need to understand each other and ourselves more. Um, and so you don't really think about it with athletes because they're, you know, they're successful. They make money, like all this, you know, all the things that you think, oh, that doesn't equate to sadness. When in reality, they're just people. It is a job to them. And jobs make you sad sometimes, especially when your job is, you know... Failure, you know, you fail seventy percent of the time. You make ten million dollars. Like it is a sport that has failure ingrained in its DNA. Um, and it was just really interesting getting a lot of perspectives and hearing a lot of things that you know I have, I and people I know have dealt with in their everyday life. Was it was really cool and really interesting.
1: That is that is awesome. Um, yeah, and definitely recommend our listeners go check out that article. It is uh, your pin tweet. Uh, mm-hmm. So. Um, if you could actually tell our listeners where they could find you on Twitter and find any of your work, Henry.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's so I am on Twitter. It's uh, at hella, Pella, Pella um, which is H E L L A P A L A T T E L L A. Um, so yeah, so I'll, I'll do some game coverage, some features, stuff like that. I have something, um, in the, in the pipes about, um, starting pitchers who become relievers and find success in it and what it takes to become that so a little sneak peek of what's next so you can expect that dropping soon
1: all right awesome well this has been great i really enjoyed having you on especially with the short notice here um you know i i was reading your work and i'm like we just i I would love to have this guy on so and, and you did not disappoint so thank you again so much for for making the time uh, we are going to say goodbye to Henry, and we're going to take a quick break and come back with Dave Funnel. We are back. We welcome in friend of the show, Dave Funnel of Fantrax. Dave, how you doing?
3: I'm doing well. It's uh all-star break. I'm taking a break from some injuries for a bit. Uh, there hasn't been much to talk about, but tonight we are going to dig in and see what we can discuss and go forward from there.
1: All right. Yeah, you are going to give us the full rundown of uh, of some of the, the players that we need to know about in terms of their injuries and in uh, timelines for return. Uh, but first, you know, I, I'm sure most people listening to this show know who you are. Uh, you're a big celebrity, you know, um, but <laughs> big, uh, time. You just, big time, big time. Um, you could just tell us a, a little bit about your work for anybody who may not know who you are. And, uh, tell us a little bit about how your season's going so far.
3: Well, okay. Uh, I'm at fan tracks. I do the injury report there. Uh, prospects 1500. I talk about the twins and over at pitcher list. I, uh, do streaming catchers every couple weeks. Now. So that's the good You're news. Busy man. Uh, that, that, yeah, <laughs> that's the good news. The bad news is my season this year. Um, it's, uh, it's not going well at all, uh, Everything that I thought would happen, it's every player that I've picked up or, or drafted or traded for. It's just, it's not working. So I need this. It's anywhere but up right now. Like the second half, it's—it it can't get much worse. I was going to
1: say, so I was going to say, so <laughs> say it better not be injuries that's getting you this season because, I mean, you're the injury guy. So you yeah. should be able, you should have the foresight to know who's going to get injured and who's going to stay healthy.
3: I've, I've been able to knock on wood, avoid, uh, injuries. But, okay. So it's just been and, underperformance. Yeah. It's, it's pitching this year. Pitching is just killing me. It's killing everyone, but it's killing me a lot this year. I don't know about you guys, but pitching is just,
1: it's been rough, man. There, there's just been, I feel like it's calmed down a little bit. Um, I felt like that first month it was just, everybody was getting blown up and I feel like we're settling into, you know, I don't have any numbers, so this is just anecdotal, but it, it seems like things are settling down a little bit and I don't know if that's maybe pitchers are adjusting to the pitch clock or just, you know, normal regression. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, I, it is definitely, uh, been challenging to, to navigate that. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, people have also been snake bitten by injuries, right? and i I feel like that's also something that beginning of the season was just out of control, you know, and that seems to have settled down a little bit, but we got some big names that um uh, are currently on the i l so I'm gonna start with a, a few right off the bat here. two of the biggest names, first round players.' I'm gonna start with Aaron judge and Jordan Alvarez so. Uh, Dave, give us an update on where things are at with their injuries and when we could expect to see them back on the field.
3: Sure. Yeah, we'll start with uh, Judge. So, I mean, as you guys know, he ran into a wall about a month ago. It's been off and on. He played it off as it wasn't serious or anything. But here he is a month later, and uh, he's had some PRP injections, and he's not really doing too much. Um but I read a piece today by uh, Dr. Stephen O'Brien from USA Today, and he's speculating that uh, it won't be – it's not career-ending, but it's career-altering or career-changing. Whoa, 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 whoa. What do you mean by that? Okay. So what he says that uh, it could be career-changing if there is arthritis in the toe. So he's not sure yet if there's going to be arthritis yet in the toe. This could be something that lingers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he doesn't see it as too much right now. But he says it's a lot similar to turf toe, kind of like what Jazz had. Um, he thinks it's a manageable problem. And it's been recommended that he'll have surgery after the season, just not now. Mm-hmm. So what Judge has been doing, he's been upgraded to, uh, I think it's like soft tossing and just uh, basic swinging the biggest thing for him is going to be once he can actually start to really hit, because I remember Boone was saying a couple of weeks ago, it's all about putting pressure on that toe and you have to pivot and be able to turn your toe and your foot until he can, can do that. There isn't much else that he can do. Once he's able to do that, that'll be the next big step and uh, something that can propel him closer to uh, a return. Wow. Well, my big toes work. Can I give that to
2: him uh, to get him back? Because my NFBC uh, Glarf team really needs him.
3: Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure he'd be open to any big toe right now. But
2: that's about the only thing I have that works on my body. At uh, yeah, so.
1: you know, you beat me to it, Mike.
2: Damn it.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I was going to get you with that one. All right. Anyway, <laughs> moving on. Uh, so. Mike, you may need to hold the, host the rest of the pod while I go in the corner and cry. As uh, you know, we we may Yankees may be without Aaron Judge for um, for a little while or a little while longer. It seems like um, I, I'm guessing
3: he'll be back within a month because he has started to at least go to the plate and start swinging. And i I think it was like soft hitting or something like that. So he's getting closer. So my guess would be within I'd say about a month from now. Okay. That's my guess, but I'm not a doctor. Mm-hmm.
1: All right. What about Jordan Alvarez?
3: So Jordan, uh, things are actually looking pretty good. Um, over the weekend, he and uh, Jose Yurkiti, they did live batting practice with each other. So he's actually uh, advanced to that. Uh, he was doing a lot of BP before games throughout the week as well. It's looked good. Um they said that he and actually Urquidy, but they're both going to be on a rehab assignment, uh, this week. And it doesn't look like Alvarez's will be long. So my guess would be by this time next weekend, we could probably see him back, knock on wood, but that would mm-hmm. be my guess.
2: No, that would be good news for sure.
3: Yeah. Cause it's been what about a month now or so. So, uh, yeah.
2: Seems like he's always fighting something off, doesn't it?
3: Yeah, yeah. Last year and this year it's just one thing after another, but he's just so good when he's in there. So um but yeah, he's he should be starting a rehab very soon. Speaking of someone who's
2: very good, and the guy that I bug you about almost on a weekly basis now in our text message thread, Brandon Woodruff. What are you hearing about him so far?
3: Well, um with him, it's just He's been on and off again with a uh, 25 pitch uh BP. Um he had a couple in a row and he was doing great and then all of a sudden there was a delay and he couldn't go in for his last one. So he was delayed a few days, came back, uh just recently did another 25 pitch uh BP. Um and his velo was only around 91 to 93. Now it's usually around 96. So He's obviously going to need to do a few more, uh, a few more sessions and, uh, get that velocity up. But I, he's a tricky one because even at the beginning, he said that he was going to take things slowly. He was not going to rush things. And I know the situation with the Brewers and pitchers, how that went with, uh, Burns with their arbitration process. And I know he's coming up to arbitration this year and then he's a free agent. I, I, there's something about it that just tells me he's just going to really take his time to make sure he's at hundred percent. We might not even see him till like mid August, even early September, but that's, that's just the pessimistic, uh, observer in me right now. Um, but he is, like I said, though, he is at 25 pitch bullpens and he just needs to get the velocity up. Yeah, I could use them.
2: <laughs> That's for sure. Yeah. What about uh, what about Jordan Alvarez's teammate Jose Altuve?
3: Yeah, he um, he came back um, for a while, but he's he's had that uh, oblique discomfort. He went for uh, an MRI, and um, it just showed there was a minor sprain. Uh, the hope is that he'll return after the break. He's a little bit behind the progress of Alvarez right now. So my guess would be if he were to start a rehab assignment, it would probably be in about another week or so. But um like I said, he is behind. So I, I would guess by the end of July, he could be back, which would actually be pretty incredible given, you know, an oblique only taking about three weeks. But uh they don't, it seems like he could be back by then.
1: Give us some updates, Dave, on a few players that are already on rehab assignments. Uh, I'll give you three here. Max Freed, Edward Cabrera, and Jorge Polanco.
3: Okay. So starting with Freed, uh, he just had his first rehab outing. He went uh, just over one inning uh, scoreless. He hit 96 on his fastball twice, which was very good. Um, he admitted that what he wanted to do was mix in his pitches and get a feel for in-game action. So he wasn't too concerned that he gave up, you know, a lot of walks and stuff like that and only went 35 pitches. So for him, he just needs to build, um, build himself up and eventually get to four to five innings. So I would say two more rehab outings and he could be back. Um, as for Cabrera, um, he, he's out with shoulder impingement. And the tricky part was he was supposed to have, um, he was supposed to have a rehab outing on July 8th, but it got rained out and he didn't pitch the next day during a double header. So I don't know why that happened, but assuming everything's fine, he's probably going to get in one rehab outing and then maybe even come back after that. But the plan is for him to throw three innings or 55, sorry, 45 pitches in this next start. And then, uh, Polanco, uh, this is, this is his second or third time with a hamstring injury this year, um, but he is progressing in his ability to run and sprint and all that. So chances are he's going to be starting a rehab either this weekend or just after. So my guess it would be a little bit longer just so that they can make sure that um, the team can make sure that he's actually overcome this and it's not going to be another lingering issue. Okay.
1: All right. Very good. Well, Dave, thanks for for going through those with us. And you know, that's just the the depth that you go into with injuries uh, is just awesome. And that that daily article that you put out is so valuable. So I encourage everybody to go check out uh, Dave's article over at fan tracks. You know, there's players that obviously we didn't cover just now. uh, But follow Dave and check out that article and you will be um, up to date with uh, the injuries that you need to know about. But we're going to move on to our next segment here um, and a segment that we, we normally do. And I know we weren't here last week. So this first question is going to be covering uh, the last two weeks since we last spoke, um, which is where we identify a fantasy-related takeaway um, that uh, we are observing, whether it is an individual player, a league trend, uh, maybe something in terms of overall strategy, um, that uh, that each of us have noticed. So I'm going to start with you, Mike. Uh, tell us what is what is one takeaway that that you've had over the past few weeks here.
2: Well, one thing I would like to just point out is that I think we spent a lot of time at the end of seasons looking at what we did or didn't do and what our processes and all of those words that we use as fantasy analysts thinking about what we do. But this year, when we got to the All Star break, I took stock of all the teams that I have. I've got several in NFBC. I've got several in fan tracks. Um, I don't really play in, I play in one home league. So most of mine are playing against really competitive players like you guys. And what I did at, at the All-Star break was pause for a day and kind of look at the standings and see where I have chances to still, you know, be in contention and, and finish in the money. I mean, we're playing to win. We're not playing just to finish in second place. But my biggest takeaway, I think guys was, you know, If your if your process is good and you look at you look at it and reflect back on it and realize that nothing is ever one hundred percent foolproof, but if your process is good, you really should be in a position where you start to trust your instincts more. And I found that this year, especially in Fab, which I I have been notoriously a bad Fab player, and I've been really upfront and honest with people about that—that I I don't wrap my mind around it quite easily. And my friend Dave McDonald, who's in Glarf um had, you know, repeated to me over and over again that you got to really study what other people do in fab. And I never did that up until this year. And so this year, what I've been able to do is get really good acquisitions, not always the top name guys, but guys that can fill in and help me out when I have the Aaron Judge down or Brandon Woodruff down. And I've been able to make ends meet on that. I have just I think I've changed my outlook on those things. I changed my process. And I feel like my process, at least at this point, was good for the first half of the season. So I'm taking that into the second half and looking at that and saying I'm trusting my instincts when I'm thinking about adding some of these players, Um, not Carlos Carrasco, who we were joking around about before, Chris, but but things like that, you know, to trust my instincts and and really think it through and and go with it. You know, it's a game that we're playing. It's not like I'm, you know, Oppenheimer trying to develop the atomic bomb here. Right. With a movie that's coming out next week. You know, it's it's fantasy baseball. It's supposed to be fun. I'm having more fun with it now than I have probably ever. And I really feel like my process has uh, been much better over the course of the last nine to 12 months.
1: Awesome, man. Well, mine is, is very similar in a different direction, but the overall idea is the same uh, of trusting your instincts. And, uh, you know, this is something where I feel like I've, I've got bitten with particularly one player and that's Luis Severino. And, uh, you know, I had, uh, I had stashed him, you know, since the beginning of the year in my main event. And, you know, I was so excited, obviously, when he finally was was activated and and was starting, Um, you know, and if you look at at Luis Severino's projections, they're really good. Right. Like if you you know, I would always look at the Razzball, um, you know how they give you a rating for basically each start um, if you subscribe to uh, uh, to Rudy's uh, system there and uh, Luis Severino always graded out well. You know, like pretty much if he was at home, like he was like a double digit positive grade. And, uh, you know, but when I actually watched him pitch, he didn't look right. Like he's still, I mean, obviously his last outing was a disaster. Um, and overall his, his numbers are really ugly. And I have absorbed all of that, uh, the, the murder to my ratios, uh, since he's been back because the numbers were telling me, You got to start him, right? But my eyes were saying, man, something's not right with this guy. And for some reason, I mean, part of it was that I really didn't have, you know, much better options. It is a 15 team league. So, you know, the, it's hard to find another starter off the waiver wire who's going to really be better. But, you know, in hindsight, I'm like, I, I really should have just trusted what I was watching. Uh, screw the numbers. Like this guy was not, this wasn't Luis Severino that we know. So, that's my takeaway is is sometimes you know this game is is an art and a science right if you're just going to blindly follow numbers and analytics um it'll get you part of the way there but um you know if you're really going to be at the uh, the top tier uh, of being a fantasy player you've got to learn how to to blend the two right uh the objective and the subjective so that that's been my big takeaway, uh, over the past few weeks here. So Luis Severino, you be on my bench for a while, but, uh, Dave, tell us what, what's your takeaway been?
3: Well, uh, okay. My takeaway actually has to do with that first question you asked me about, uh, injuries a couple weeks ago. I, I, I thought to myself, I'm doing okay. I was, uh, getting, uh, Julio Urias back. I had Rodondo debuting jazz had come back he was looking okay and then the fantasy baseball gods just <laughs> tumbling down I didn't even say it out loud I just thought it and that's you just don't do that so since that time I I lost uh jazz I lost Whitlock I lost uh Montgomery Edmund, Brian Hayes just it's just one thing after another so the lesson that I love learned is just never be content with your team never think that you have it all down packed, and always be ready you always have to be ready to either make that move and i i'm i'm admittedly i am not the best at that i like to hold on and just you know i i see the potential and i want to just wait it out you got to be ready to drop someone for someone else see who's hot see who's not and if they're hurt Take someone else who you think is going to replace them. So just never be content and always be ready.
1: Well, you could be content in life, right? Just not with your fantasy baseball team. Absolutely.
3: absolutely. That's that's, that's actually really good
2: merit advice, Dave.
3: Never be content. (laughs)
2: Never be content (laughs) content and always be ready. (laughs) Notice that I'm in a a locked room with my wife outside of the door, right? (laughs) Does does,
1: Does she ever listen to the pod?
2: Um, she does, and she oh, no, uh, agrees okay. with my assertion assertion that um I probably need to take more medication. Uh-huh. she she's very um she's very openly critical of um, my work, which is good. it's it's helping me okay. try to get better.
1: Okay. Actually, what does she say about me?
2: She thinks that you're a riot. She thinks that you're great. Okay. Um, she likes Dave when Dave is on. She likes Dave's voice. She finds it very soothing. Mm. Uh, when I'm on, she just says, can we fast forward this part so we can get to Torres and uh, listen to Torres talk? <laughs> she, like, so, she likes the silky, smooth vibe that you have out. Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
1: yeah. I, I like that. All right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to move on to uh, our next segment where we are each going to identify one hitter and one pitcher that we're interested in either trading for or picking up off of waivers. So we're going to make this selection based on maybe it's a player's upcoming schedule uh, or recent skills that they've been showing. So uh, we'll go to you, Dave, first. Um, Give us a hitter and a pitcher that you're looking at uh, to to pick up or trade for.
3: Okay, so I made these picks based off the news today that uh, the Cardinals were going to be trading a lot of players today. They were going to be making some moves. So I went deep with my hitter and I picked Alec Burleson. Um, I loved him as a prospect. I loved his last year in the minors, um, and he's always had a low K, a low K rate with a healthy walk walk rate. Um, and in the majors, even in the in the two seasons he's been up, he still had a 12.4% K rate, 7.2% walk rate. So it's been pretty good in that respect. He just hasn't been given the playing time. So if the Cardinals do trade someone else, I feel that Burleson might get, uh, might get that playing time that he needs and get that consistency and get his at, his at bats. Or if he goes somewhere else, then he goes to an organization that might know what the hell they're doing this year and (laughs) they might be able to fix him or, you know, give him what he needs. But, uh, he hits the ball hard. He spreads the ball around the field. And, um, I think once the Cardinals do make a move, whether it's him, or someone else, he'll get that chance and I think he'll uh I think he'll get better.
1: Well, I mean he the the Cardinals have a track record, right, of getting rid of outfielders that go on to do great things. I mean Do they? <laughs> yeah, I mean you looked at uh they were showing pictures yes or I don't know if it was a Derby or All Star Game I was watching, but uh Adoles Garcia and Randy Rosarena, both yeah. former Cardinals that uh I'm sure they would like to uh to have on their team right now.
3: But, uh, okay. So
1: Alec Burleson for your hitter and your pitcher? Uh,
3: my pitcher is, uh, Jordan Montgomery. Okay. So he's, his contract's expiring, I think. So I, he's turned it on as of June. He, uh, before June, I don't know what it was. Um, I think it was just, I don't know if it was the cold weather or he started off slow, but I know he's also been showing a pitch change and he's throwing more of a curveball. So um, he's just a guy who can get um, that doesn't allow uh, hard contact. And you saw what he did last year when he came to the Cardinals. He excelled in the summer. He's got four good pitches, great control. So if he stays in St. Louis, great. I think he's going to continue. If he goes somewhere else, I think he's going to have a chance for success and probably more wins as well. So um, my pick for someone to bank on, assuming he's healthy, because I know he had a, uh, I think it was a hamstring injury on Sunday. Assuming he's healthy, uh, Jordan Montgomery's second half.
1: Right, you know who uh, might be interested in him? Yankees. <laughs> they, could, they could use yeah. another starter, and uh, <laughs> I was I was pretty upset when they traded him last year. Bader's been been pretty good when he's been healthy, so I can't say it was a a terrible trade, but uh, yeah, I think he would, he would fit right in uh, yeah. if you if went back there. All right, Mike, give us a hitter and a pitcher.
2: Yeah, you know, a, a hitter that I like that's actually been really helpful to me and several of my uh, higher stakes leagues has been Matt Beerling for Detroit. Um, he's helped me kind of navigate missing some of my key outfielders that have been hurt. I had Stanton out for a while. Um and then obviously Judge being out uh as he as he has been the last month or so. But Verley's the guy that really has good bat to ball skills and he's playing every day, you know, and so he's got a pretty nice right handed swing. Uh, he's got seven home runs right now, he's got five stolen bases, although he should be stealing bases more. This guy's sprint speed is in the in the ninety something percentile, I believe. Last I checked on the stat cast. Uh Detroit really has not much to play for. I think that this is a guy that will continue to get some playing time for them, even with Riley Green coming back. Uh, I think he can play a third base a little bit as well. I, I don't know how much they want to really give him a look there, but, uh, his bad plays. He's hitting .280 right now. Uh, he had .383 last month, uh, in the month of, uh, June, I believe it was. That would be the month before July, Mike. Yeah, that's right. Um, and he and he's actually he's actually been a really good player for for quite a few people, and he's not very well uh, rostered in a lot of places. There's a lot of people that are still kind of asleep on him, but a guy that's got seven home runs and five stolen bases at the All Star break is a usable asset, in my opinion.
1: All right, very good. Got that power speed combo, which I know you like. I do. Um, all right, yeah. Give us a picture here.
2: A guy that I've been sort of surprised that, um, in, in some places is still available in, in, in some of my NFBC leagues as, as well, surprisingly, is Tarek Stubel. Um, I, I don't think that he should be on the waiver wire anywhere at this point. Um, I, I did pick him up in my home league, um, earlier in the week. And ESPN leagues, he's only owned at about 25%. Uh, but, you know, last week he actually threw the ball really well. The problem is, as, as Dave pointed out to me is that, you know, we don't know how long he's going to go. I mean, his, his last two outings for Detroit have only been four innings, but if you, if we take into consideration that he's still building up and that he's a guy that had been hurt and is now coming back from that, that was only a second start back in, you know, in, in those eight innings, he's got 11 strikeouts. So I think there's some promising things that are looking up there and his next start is against the uh, moribund Kansas City Royals. So. I think Jack Carter could probably get some of the Royals out right now with his uh his pitch mix combo right now. But I, I, I like uh School Ball as a guy that he might be able to scoop up and uh and get some results from in the second half.
1: Yeah, for sure. Uh he was someone I, I was aggressive with in uh two leagues, in my main event league and in uh turf. Um uh both fifteen teamers. So I was fortunate enough to get him in both pretty excited about that. I feel like I was aggressive because I felt like he was probably the best pitcher that was gonna, you know, come up uh, on waivers for the rest of the season. That may or may not be right, but I feel like we've seen a lot of the the big pitching prospects already come up, um, you know, and and he uh, the thing is he's already shown it at the major league level, and I do think they're gonna be conservative with him, but they're also gonna want to build him up, right? They they want to get him to a point that he'll be you know, um, ready to go next season. So uh, definitely like that call out, uh, two of mine. So let me give you a uh, hitter first I'm going with Josh bell. And he's a guy that we've kind of forgotten about. He really struggled, uh, at the beginning of the season, but his recent numbers indicate that things are turning around for him. Um, if you look at, I always like to pull up the last 14 days as well as the last 30 days. Um, leaderboard on fan graphs and first thing i look at is hard hit rate and for the last 14 days josh bell is number 22 in baseball with hard hit rate we know the guy can uh he has really good quality contact i mean the the issue with him is he really just hits too many ground balls um but we know that he could go on a hot stretch if he can just raise that launch angle over the past few weeks he's at 45.9 percent ground balls which is still a little higher than you would like to see Um, but moving in the right direction, 51.4% hard hit rate, uh, 13.5% barrel rate, 112.6 max EV. He's always a guy who, um, you know, keeps the strikeouts down pretty low. So, you know, as someone who's playing every day, a switch hitter hitting in the middle of the Cleveland lineup, obviously not the best lineup, but, you know, he's going to be in a position to drive in runs. Uh, rest of season projection 9 home runs 36 RBIs with a 2.63 average. So, I think Josh Bell is a guy uh in like a 12 team league, you know, CBS right now he's 59% rostered, uh which is, you know, kind of that's more indicative of like a a 12 team format. Um I think he's a guy to go out and get put in your corner infield spot. I think you'll be happy with him the rest of the way. Uh as far as pitching, I'm going to go with one of your guys, uh Mike and and that oh, is Oh no. All right, so I'm, uh, I'm interested to hear what you think about him, uh, because lately his numbers have been pretty damn good, uh, at least his underlying numbers. I, you know, I'm not even really paying attention to like what his ERA is. Um, you know, I, I'm really just looking at what is he doing in terms of strikeouts to walk ratio, uh, swinging strike percentage, those those types of numbers. And uh, really, what we've been seeing over the past month is what we expected from Dylan Cease. I mean, mm-hmm. he's uh, right now, my computer is not cooperating, but uh, I know the Cato walk pr- percentage has been trending in the right direction. Um uh, Just pulling up here. He is ninth overall in Sierra over the past 30 days. He's got a 34.2% um scratch that, 33.9% strikeout rate, 6.5% walk rate, which is the thing you want to see with Cease. When he's got the walks under control, the guy can be dominant. Um so I know the surface stats, if you look for the full season, are not pretty, but I think he's rounding into form. There's a few other numbers here, a thirty three point seven percent CSW, which is really good, seventy nine point seven percent Z contact, um, which measure which uh you know is it shows how much um he is dominating in the zone. So I'm really encouraged by what he's showing. Uh interested to hear from you, Mike, is he someone that you think people should be targeting?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that there was no way that he was going to live up to what happened last year and that he was going to be able to repeat that season. It was he was remarkable last year. He was almost perfect. Um And I think that people who thought that he was going to be able to do that again were remiss in thinking that. So he got off to a rough start, as you pointed out. May, his ERA was almost six. I think it was between five and a half and six. Um The, the issue that he's having is that he's pitching well, but he's not getting any type of uh wins or losses. I don't think he's had a winner or a loss since 1st uh, of June. And so, you know, he, he's, going, he's not getting any decisions. And, and, and you know, we we talk about that all the time. I mean, you can't really chase wins, right? But he's only got three wins on the season, but he's rounding in a form. Now, that was, that's being said, he was garbage against St. Louis last weekend. But you're going to have sneakers like that. You're not going to be able to control that. I think he's a great uh, candidate to try to get right now um he's going to continue to pitch for the white Sox. i don't think that they're going to trade him he, he's going to be the centerpiece of their next rotation i would imagine uh at least for the next year or two until they figure out that they don't want to sign him because the white Sox never sign guys to extensions um at this point in their career they only do it when they're 21 and haven't proven anything yet so um i think the, that he will be a white sock and i think that he'll continue to do that but he is rounding in the form he's been much better i think his I know you said, you know, they'll look at ERA, and I understand that, and I think that's a really good point, but his ERA was like 2.2 last month, and the strike costs were like 42 to 10 to walks. I mean, so that's where he needs to be to be effective, and I think uh, people are sleeping on him a little bit, so I think that's a good call, Chris.
0: All right. Thank
2: you.
1: Once in a while, I put a good call out there.
2: Um, no, I agree. I think that your calls are always pretty good. I mean, you, you have a, a well-thought-out opinion about, what you're going after. That doesn't mean it's always gonna work out, but you've you've done the research and you understand what you need on your team for sure.
1: Well well let's be you know what you know what really got me down was I was so high. You know my boy, I texted you about him this weekend, Steven Matz. You know, and it's like he crushed my confidence. I felt so good about him going into the season. But there's still time. There still is time for him to turn it around. We saw a glimmer uh this past weekend, the day before mm-hmm. the all star break, so mm-hmm. Hey man, mm-hmm. go get your Stephen Mats. I'm. I, I guess I'm just gonna go down with this shit.
2: I. Uh, I. I. Again, I already said it once. I. I hate you. Um. And mm-hmm. when you sent that to me, I knew it was coming. I knew. Yeah. Like, I just had that sixth sense. I was like, Taurus is gonna send send me some shit about Stephen Matz right right about now. Well, of and course about they were playing the. Yeah, Western. like so, ten minutes yeah. into it, he's just like, "Oh, huh? what about Steven Matz? I'm like, "Oh, here yeah. comes the obnoxious Yankee fan." <laughs>
1: That's right, that's which is right. A, which
2: is an oxymoron, right? Obnoxious Yankee yeah. fan. There's no other kind, you know. <laughs> that
1: is true. Well, at least you were prepared for it. Correct. But, uh, correct. But, Mike, uh, also want to check in with you here. I mean, we had Dave. Uh, his area of expertise is, is looking at the injuries. I don't know what mine is, but uh, we know that yours is is bullpens. So, uh, tell us what uh, what is one bullpen situation that uh, that we should be watching here in the coming weeks.
2: Well, you know, not to make it all White Sox all the time, but I think that the White Sox are going to have some movement here in the next couple of weeks uh, at the trade deadline. And they certainly have some guys in the bullpen that will be of interest to teams that are competing. Uh, Joe Kelly's hurt right now, but he's a guy that I could see them easily move. He's supposed to be back here in the next three or four days. Uh, Keenan Middleton has been actually quite good for the White Sox. Uh, Kendall Gravesman has been up and down, but he's a known commodity, and, and he'll probably get moved as well. I don't think that the White Sox are inclined to move Liam Hendricks unless they're going to get something really good for him, and I don't think that they want to take that type of PR hit. You know, a guy comes back from cancer and then he gets hurt, you trade him. You know, I, I don't know that they want to do that. If they do, though, uh, a guy that I'm really interested in the White Sox bullpen is Gregory Santos, who... Um, is a is a young guy that the Giants inexplicably kind of gave up on. I don't know that they gave up on him. I think they tried to sneak him under the wire to send him back down to AAA, and the White Sox claimed him in the winter time. And it's a really interesting guy to earmark. He's uh he's got a high velocity arsenal. Um, he's pitched really well for the White Sox. He's really been able to to locate very well. Um, and he's got a really live arm. And so they had been using him uh, in the six, you know, fifth and sixth inning, and then. Pedro Grafau, you know, after slow to, I think Grafal means slow to adjust uh, in his native language uh, because they finally started giving him some higher leverage opportunities and he's done pretty well with it. So I do think Santos is the guy to watch there, especially if they make as many moves as uh, it sounds like they're getting ready to make, um, and especially if they end up moving Hendricks, which I don't think they will do. Another, another bullpen that I think bears watching that's really interesting to think about is, is Milwaukee. And and on the surface, it doesn't seem like it would be very interesting. I mean, Devin Williams is Devin Williams; he's a god. I was there on Friday night when he and he pitched against um, the the uh, Cincinnati Reds. By the way, go see Ellie De La Cruz if you get an opportunity; he is electric, so fun to watch. Um, but if if the Brewers decide at some point here that they're not in it, and even though they're they're close to first place and they're hovering a couple games above five hundred. If they decide to move Devin Williams, they've got a couple of really interesting guys there that I think would be uh, interesting ones to target for for fantasy players. And and one of those guys, it, obviously everyone knows Yoel Piamps has been uh, great for them. But another guy that, that they just brought up that is a name to kind of file for later is Abner Uribe. Now, they've used Elvis Piguero as a, as a high leverage guy to go with Amps and and they've been a good combo together but Abner Uribe made his debut last week and he was like straight fire. I mean, guy is throwing 99 mile an hour fastballs with ease, um, decent breaking stuff to go along with it. If they should somehow decide that they want to move Devin Williams, who would, who would face facts? I mean, he would be the high the, the greatest reliever on the market. If that was to be the case, uh, a guy like Abner Uribe could slide into that role. So and not necessarily somebody you want to have right now. I, I, you know, even in a deep league, I don't think that he's somebody that you want to roster. But should Devin Williams get moved, and they want to keep Piguero and Piamps in the spots where they are, Uribe is definitely a guy who can get an opportunity there.
1: Bro, you crush that. I mean, you're you're dropping names that, uh, like, honestly, I don't know who Abner Uribe is. Like, that's you're going deep, baby. I love it. Um, you know, and, and I love how you're just like, oh yeah, everybody knows who Yoel Piamps is. Like, like he's just like a household name. Like, you know, like. <laughs> I mean, I don't think everybody knows who that is. <laughs>
2: well, you know, <laughs> if, if, you. if you're in leagues where you have holds, Pyamps is one of the best guys to I have, guess. right? You yeah, know, so like, I, I
1: don't play in any holds leagues. I, I know who he is, but yeah, I just love how you're so nonchalant about Like, oh, everybody knows who he is.
2: You know what's really interesting is I, I don't know if you guys read my piece over the weekend. Um, I mean, you, everybody's been really busy, but we have eight closers in the game right now that have more than 20 saves. And if we look at the numbers, you know, I, I put this in every week just because I find it fascinating. I don't know if anybody else does, but I find it fascinating. There, At the All-Star break, there were 152 players with at least one save. Last year, there, in all of the season, there was 222 players who had at least one save. It seems like we're going to be pretty easy to surpass that one this year. And there are 250 players at the All-Star break that had at least one save opportunity.
1: Interesting. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Yeah, that is wild. Um, and, and by the way, uh, lento para ajustar is uh, slow to adjust. Uh, it's not. It's not. Grateful. So it's
2: not it's Okay. Not, yeah, okay. I yeah. I,
3: that for you. Thank
2: you for thank you for correcting me on that, Chris. Yeah. I I appreciate that. <laughs> I mean, performing means something, but I'm not exactly sure what it means. I think it means maybe I suck. I don't know. Is there a, a direct translation? I don't know.
1: Let's. Find I don't a, care. A translation. Um. I don't know if there's a direct translation. No, it's not giving me anything. I'll have to get back to you on
2: that one. I'm a puppet of yeah. an office that has no accountability. Maybe that's what it means. I don't know.
1: That's probably what it is. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. That could be it. Let's go with, let's go with that one.
1: We'll go with that. <laughs> that makes sense. All right. Um, all right. So we are moving on to a little non baseball stuff. Uh, as we always do, we like to end our shows with, uh, what's called our mental health minute, which is where, um, Mike, myself, and uh, our guests all identify one thing that we're doing to maintain our overall wellness, and that could be physical health, mental health. Uh, so let's get right into that. Uh, Dave, tell us what what you've been doing to maintain your wellness.
3: Uh, well, this summer uh, I started to go back to uh, the gym where I was, you know, before COVID and all that stuff, and. I've been going with the boys and one thing that we've been doing a lot of is a lot of swimming. So for me, I don't know. I don't know if for anyone else, but I, for myself and my boys, water is just, there's something about it. Just getting in the water, getting to swim, getting to move around. It's, it's physically active, but it's refreshing. There's something about it. I feel like, like invigorated after I'm done swimming a few laps and I see it even in in the faces of my boys now they're they're more active they're happier they're they're just I don't know there's something about water that's just it's a whole other level so for me my mental health um I'll go swimming I'll go swimming for about half an hour uh the boys can do their thing in the water we'll play together afterwards so for me it's water mental health water
1: That's awesome. And yeah, I mean, there's there's so much good stuff there. Like you're spending that time with them, which I'm sure is part of it. Right. Like the fact that you guys are all together uh, and doing an activity that you all enjoy. It's the movement. It's like you said, it could be just being in the water. There's something kind of therapeutic about that. So it it really like that. That's awesome that, um, you know, that that you found that and and are seeing how beneficial it is. Mm -hmm. Uh, All right. Appreciate you sharing. Mike. What about you? What are you doing?
2: Well, you know, I like to go to the gym too, but my gym is called the International Half of Pancakes. So that's where I do my best work, you know. Uh, (laughs) No, I, you know, to be really frank with you guys, you know, uh, this summer has not been the greatest summer in our town. We've had uh, a number of losses and and, um, people that have been, had life altering injuries, uh, kids, a kid that I coached um, is, you know, fighting, fighting back and, and trying to get through it. So I, I kind of found myself in the last few weeks a little more down in the doldrums than usual. And usually summer is a pretty good time for me. And I was, I wasn't feeling so great. And, um, I had an interaction with a student of mine last week that I'd like to just share with you guys for, you know, 30 seconds it was a student that when she first came to us was a, a severe drug addict, um, and bipolar disorder, unmedicated, was self-medicating and try to get by. She wasn't really cutting it in our school. In fact, when I interviewed her the first time, she completely turned her back to me in the chair and sat there and refused to answer any of my questions. I liked her immediately because of that, because I thought it was a good judge of character. You know, she didn't trust me right away, which is a good thing on her part. Um, but she went to she went to a residential facility for a period of time, and when she was getting ready to come out of the residential facility, we got a phone call back from her family that said. We would really like to, as a step down, we'd really like her to be back within your program before we send her back to the regular school. And I said, okay, we'll interview her. We interviewed her. Uh, we decided to take her back. Um, she's done great. A and B student, straight as an arrow, um, not, you know, no drugs has been sober, has been fighting through it. Has been fighting through the urges and the cravings. And um, earlier in the week, um, I was getting ready to say goodbye to her because the summer session is the end of her time with us. She'll be going back to her home school in the fall. And um, she turned to me and she said, um, Hey, I, can I talk to you real quick? And I said, Yeah. And she came into my office and she started to cry. And she said, I just wanted to say thank you for not giving up on me. You know, there's a lot of people that w- would have given up on me over the course of my time, especially in school, and you never did. And I just wanted to say thanks for giving me another opportunity. And I thought, you know, You have one kid say that to you, and it makes your year, right? It makes all the struggle and all the suffering and the pain of it worthwhile. And I thought, you know, heck, this kid, her name is Nadine. She's a great kid. You know, um, I have a sign that hangs above my my door that was given to me by my uncle that says, never, never, never give up. It was the, you know, the Jimmy V uh, speech thing. And I've had that above my door for probably the last 15, 16 years. And I thought, you know, Mike, stop feeling sorry for yourself stop feeling the pain of the stuff that's going on around you you got to be there for the people that are around and don't ever give up on anybody so the people that i know that are struggling right now like i'm going to continue to reach out to them i am going to continue to wave to them when i see them in the street i'm going to stop and say hi we're going to talk we're going to chat i'm going to be there for those folks and it really kind of just shook me up again you know like hey you know get over yourself you know like Mm -hmm. get get back in the game and so I don't know that it's necessarily like a great mental health moment, but it was something to me that kind of got me like that slap in the face, you know, to kind of get me back on track to what I need to be doing. And my week this week has been extremely more focused on the the work that needs to get done and less focused on like how I'm feeling internally. Cause you know, like, it's like you always say, Chris, when we talk offline, right? Like the more that you're directing outward, what's going on and projecting outward and, 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 being outside of your own head and heart, the better you're going to be and the more you're going to function, you know So I just wanted to share that I thought that was kind of a cool story It really kind of it choked me up, you know, I was a i'm an emotional guy to begin with, right? Um, but I think that that was a really cool thing and it reminded me of hey, you know There's a lot of people that are relying on me to be mentally healthy and then I cannot fall fall into those doldrums and stay there and and thanks to both of you guys for reaching out to me several times over the last few weeks and knowing that th- things have been fairly chaotic around here. And, you know, um, I, I really appreciate that. It, it, the community of, of people around us is really supportive. And I've really appreciated being not only doing this stuff with you guys, but I think we're better friends than we are even just doing the show together, you know. So I thank you guys for that as well
1: right back at you man you've supported me too so uh you know just uh appreciate you appreciate you sharing that that was that was awesome it sounded like that was exactly uh what you needed in that moment and listen man like you've been through a lot and uh, you know it, it, it sounds like you were you you said like in the doldrums for a little bit and i think that's normal you know like i i think but the key word is that you said you you didn't you didn't want to stay there right, right like right that, that's a difference like you can allow yourself to feel whatever you know whatever emotions you have like they're they're valid they're they make sense right like you were struggling you've been through a lot but um then making the decision okay well now you know now it's time to, to pick myself up and yeah it's go time both. right
2: yeah let's <laughs> go yeah yeah it's a lot of courage so, uh, eventually
1: you got to get there right but I guess my point is, like, it's okay to be there for a little bit, right? Like, you, you can't allow yourself to feel that. Uh, but yeah, man, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And yeah, I was actually just listening. You brought up the Jimmy V speech. I was just, they had an awesome, awesome documentary on ESPN, um, about the speech. I guess it's 30 years, uh, that 30 year anniversary wow. of that. And, uh, you know, they were playing it and interviewing, like, you know, the people, the producer of the show, of, you know, like Dick Vitale and, um, it was just great, man. And, and just really like the, the work that he's done for cancer research and mm-hmm. just the inspiration that he's been. Uh, I mean, that is a, uh, a life well lived, man. Cause he's, you know, just has an amazing legacy. But, uh, yeah. So if you haven't seen that speech, just you find it, go, go on YouTube, watch it. It's, it's awesome. And, uh, yeah, that's the main message. Just never give up. So, uh, great stuff. Uh, real quick for me, um, you know, it's actually I was watching the All-Star game yesterday and I wouldn't expect to get like a uh, necessarily <laughs> segment from that. Uh, but actually, I got it from Shohei Otani. You know, I found it. So So Ken Rosenthal interviewed him um, and, you know, he asked him something to the effect, like, how do you, you know, like stay focused and, uh, you know, in shape and like basically perform at the level that he does? I've like, never seen anything like it. And like. When he asked that question, my ears perked up because, like, I want to know, like, what the hell is this guy doing to that he's able to do what he does? And uh, the first thing he said, which I, I just found interesting, he said it just like so matter of factly, like, "I sleep a lot," you know. Mm-hmm. Obviously, he said this in Japanese, and the translator said it, <laughs> but you know, um, uh, it, it was just like, "Oh wow, like, okay, that's that's what he sleeps a lot." You know, so I I think it just reinforces this is something that I, I do try to make a priority. But, you know, sometimes there are just um other things that kind of get in the way. Sometimes it's out of my control. Sometimes it is in my control. Sure. Um, You know, sometimes my kid is sick and it is what it is. Like, I'm going to lose sleep that night. But there are other times where I'm doing some BS watching a movie or, you know, Looking up someone's uh, ex woba, you know, like something that I really don't need to be up late for. Uh, and I'm sacrificing what is really the most important thing. It, it's the foundation, I think, for our mental and our physical health is our body needs rest, you know. And some people think they could just kind of, you know, there's that grind mentality like, ah, you know, you sleep when you're dead, you know. And I, I think maybe that'll work for a while, but eventually that's going to catch up to you, whether it's physical. Uh, or mental health. So, uh, just what he said about sleep. And he also, uh, talked about just being very efficient with his time because he, he basically was like, you prepare as a pitcher, you're, you know, you're preparing as a hitter. Like, how do you, you know, and, and he was like, I'm just very efficient with my time. And, um, that also stuck out to me. It's like, you know, I feel like sometimes we're just on autopilot and we're kind of Mm -hmm. living life just kind of passively. You know, I I notice even like sometimes I'll pick up my phone, you know, and I don't even know why I'm picking it up. You know, I'm just like opening something, and before I know it, I've been on the phone for 20 minutes, and it's like that was just completely. I didn't have any intention. Like there wasn't anything I accomplished. It was just wasting time. You know, just being. It was just passively spending my time, and I, I think that just reinforced to me. Like him saying that was like, you know what? Like if I want to be a high performer in anything at, at my job, at, as a podcaster, as a fantasy baseball player, as a father, you know, like I've got to be like intentional with my time. Uh, so yeah, just that interview kind of stuck out to me. It's like, all right, get your sleep, get your rest and, and just be intentional. So, uh, those were, those are the things that I, I took away and I'm going to be trying to to you to uh emphasize this coming week here but uh that takes us to the end of our show we so appreciate anybody who has uh taken the time to listen just want to give another plug for dave uh we appreciate you coming on man if you could just tell our listeners again where they could find you on twitter and where they could find your work
3: yeah for sure um and thank you guys for having me i love talking to you guys um so, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at S-P-O-R-T-Z underscore N-U-T-T-5-1. And uh, like we said, you can find me. Uh, I talk about the Twins at prospects 1500. I do catchers every two weeks a Pitcher List and primarily with fan tracks doing all the injury stuff. All right.
2: Very Torres, good. Torres, I want to do a poll. I want you to do a poll one day hey. right, on Twitter. I, I know that you always say that I have the worst Twitter handle of everyone, but Dave's is pretty bad, too. Pretty, like, let's, bad. Let's pretty to bad. Let's put it yeah. to the listeners. Let's put it to the listeners and see what they have to say. I guarantee you they'll say me because people like Dave more than they like me, and rightfully so. so.
1: Well, you know what it is? I would vote for Dave because at least I know what it is, right? He's a sports nut, right? Like, it, it's a little yeah. wonky with the underscore and the numbers, but... At least like it tells you what his purpose is being online. Like M D R C can literally be anything. You know, like that doesn't tell me anything about you. So um I- I'd say Dave should win this pretty easy.
2: <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, guys. But Don't I'll call it, it then, then. So all right. <laughs> anyway. all right, guys. Thanks a lot. Every great times.
1: All right. Thank all you. Right. So thank for you. Mike, for Dave, I'm Chris. Thank you so much for listening. You have been listening too. Fantasy baseball beat.